Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Lots to talk about in the Cubs world here as spring training rolls on. Just a couple of weeks now out from opening day. We've got some uh, updates, some good and bad things from the last seven days or so. Jock Peterson keeps knocking the ball out of the ballpark. That's the good. Old friend Pedro Strope in some trouble for breaking COVID-19 violations. We'll talk about that as well. And we're going to bring things home today with a very special guest at Cubs Weather. Joining us, Alexander Hall sitting in. He's going to tell us a little bit about that Cubs Twitter account. And we'll have a weather chat in general about what's going on at Wrigley Field as we get set for opening day here. And gentlemen, I got to be honest with you, weather is on my mind this evening with Jeremy and Randall. I'm Ronan. I am the lone person not in Illinois. I'm in Denver and we are on the cusp folks of up to two feet of snow this weekend in the mile high city. I am ready. I am amped. I'm looking forward to a, a big winter snow event here this weekend. Yeah, I saw that earlier that you guys are going to get some snow over. It's been pretty nice out here. All our snow from February melted. So uh, the past couple of days over the weekend was like really nice. It was, it was, you can take a nice walk outside. Getting a sense baseball's coming. Very sunny. My dog was out there for 10 hours a day. He loves it. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of, a couple of patches of snow out there that are hiding out in the shady areas, like the, uh, the one player from a championship team still hanging on when all of his teammates have been traded. But uh, we're going to start a new rebuild. We're actually doing a little bit more snow here on Monday. So Excellent. Uh, snow on everyone's mind this Friday evening. I'm, I'm ready for it, though. We've got a... 90% chance of a foot of snow and a 70% chance of two feet of snow this weekend in Denver. The fridge is stocked. The freezer's ready to go. I'm ready. I'm just ready to just hunker down, do nothing this weekend, but watch some spring training and let the snow fall. It's going to be real Is nice. your grill, is your grill ready? Uh, no, grill college, is ready. Ba- no college basketball out there? Is that with the Hoosiers out? You're, you're not going to be watching Oh, uh, man. With shots fired here early oh, from I'm the Illini fans. You didn't say, you didn't say <laughs> you're going to watch some college basketball. It's the season, man. Well, all the teams are canceled right now. Everybody's out because of COVID. So I, will there even be games this weekend? I don't know. Um, it just I mean, feels no, like no every... vested interests. I know there's some listeners out there that may have some vested interests in terms of, you know, some other things besides just fan rooting. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, some people like to dabble in the sports wagering and a big weekend for that. Um, but some hiccups, it seems like in college basketball every day, another team with a COVID-19 positive test, they duck out. Um, that is something we have to remember is probably going to impact this major league season at some point here. There was going to be something where a player is going to test positive. It's, I don't think it's going to be a perfectly seamless season, although it's going to be very close to something that resembles what we're used to, certainly more so than last year. Yeah, I'd probably, you know, there'll be a few seven-inning doubleheaders this year, definitely. For sure, for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully the Cubs keep it clean, but we'll talk a little bit more about Stropy and, and what happened with him this week and a lot to get to tonight. But um, good to see you, Jeremy. Good to see you, Randall. Jeremy, I'm sure you're feeling good. Nice win for your Illini today. Yeah, a little 22-point uh, win over Rutgers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's always good to get back to the semifinals, a place the line I haven't been, Big Ten semifinals, in about 10 years. So that's nice. There you go. There you go. No, my pops is excited for it. He's he's all in on this Illini team. Oh, I, they're fun. Kofi, yep. Io, great. Uh, not quite the same down in Bloomington, I'm afraid, right now. My Hoosiers are a bit of a mess. Uh, Randall, what's good with you this weekend? Uh, you know, busy week with work, uh, but I am happy that as of tomorrow, I am two weeks clear of my second vaccine dose, which I feel very fortunate to Gonna have be out partying. Uh, you know, I may actually go sit inside of a restaurant and Ooh, eat. Yes, I am go. not subject to the Major League Baseball protocols. 
And so uh, I may go sit inside of a restaurant and eat tomorrow. We'll see. Pivotal question out. now. What? Where is the first spot post-COVID oh, it's, it's vaccine? Not even, it's not even a question. I'm going for all-you-can-eat sushi. Wow. Oh, wow. 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 That actually, That's I not what I would do. Me. I was not thinking that. No. I, w- I would be firmly planted inside Barnaby's. And That's that what I was, was thinking. Nice. I was thinking there was a Barnaby's, you know, something else. I, Portillo's? Portillo's. Sure, but I can do I can do that anyway. I thought maybe I a Max Barnaby's. and Benny's. I you know Mr. Randall, Max and Benny's is a, a special occasion. You got to save it for the holiday, but uh, you know I can take Barnaby's home. I can take Portillo's home. Some might even say Portillo's is better at home, in the comfort of your own home. You can't do all you can eat sushi in the comfort of your own home. So that that might be the first stop tomorrow. Well, enjoy it. Um, I'm sure it's a relief to get that vaccine, and uh, I'm waiting for it any day now. I'm hoping here in Colorado to get the call. Let's get past this and um, some big news here, too, in terms of just like baseball attendance. Um, the Rockies made news early in the week saying that they're going up to 40 percent capacity. So across the street from me here, 21,000 fans starting April 1st at Coors Field. The Texas Rangers then said, ah, fuck it. Let's just go for it. Opening it up 100 percent full capacity like nothing's going on down there in Texas. That's going to be something worth keeping an eye on. Well, but only for like three games, I think. And then they're going back to like socially distance. So like they're just trying to milk the opening day just because they know that's the only game anybody cares about. It's crazy. And you have to appreciate their policy of, well, we won't enforce the mask mandate within the ballpark. It'll be a three strikes rule the same way shouting vulgarities at players on the field is. I'm sure that will go swimmingly and uh, best of luck to everybody down there involved in that endeavor. Yeah. I well, mean, it looks the, like, go I ahead. To say, uh, I, from what I read, the Cubs and the Sox have been told that if there's a case that's traced back to the, their ballpark, it's being shut down. So good luck, Texas with a hundred percent. Yeah. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out at different places. And um, you know, obviously down in Texas too, they got that new ballpark that most fans haven't had a chance to get to yet. So that'll be something that is also going to drive some uh, extra fans out to the ballpark, I'm sure. Um, it'll be a storyline. We'll keep up on it. Um, but we'll start a little bit more lighthearted on the show this evening. we got some trivia for you. Um, shorter than, I think, weeks past. Had a little bit of a critique from Ray. He said some of these trivia episodes are going too long. And I thought, okay, we'll go a little bit more concise here tonight. We'll leave more time on the back end for our guest to talk Cubs weather. So I've got four questions for you both this evening. They're not uh, necessarily Cubs specific. The first two certainly aren't. The last two are more Wrigley specific. So pulling out some uh, little facts here on the field and we'll see how you both fare. Randall, I want to start with you first here. Man of the hour, we'll let you bat lead off. Randall, what are the dimensions in inches of a major league baseball bag? First, second, third base bag. What are the dimensions? Wow, that is an excellent question. Uh, I'm going to guess, gosh, I'm going to guess 12 inches by 12 inches as, okay. as my guess for the dimensions. One square foot from Randall J. Sanders. Jeremy, what do you think? The size of the bag? You know, I, I, we should obviously know this just because it was in the news two days ago, but uh, I don't really remember now. Um, I was going to guess something like 14 by 14 inches, but... That's what I You're a little closer. Yeah, a little closer. I had to look it up too. I was thinking 14 too, but it's actually 15 inches by 15 inches. 
And as we're going to talk about here in a little bit, the new AAA bag is actually going to be 18 inches by 18 inches. And that's going to change things like stolen bases. The distance between the bases is actually going to get a little bit shorter because of it. Uh, but 15 by 15. And every time you talk about Major League bags, I'm brought back to this very distinct memory I have. And Randall, this is up your wheelhouse, actually. Randall, what year did the Spider-Man film come out with Tobey Maguire? My, my thought is around 0102. The first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man film would have released in, I want to say, 2002. That sounds advice. right. Yes. That this, yeah, Jeremy, do you too. remember the controversy when the movie theater wanted they, to basically embed a spider web on the, ba- on on the, the basis? Yeah, I yeah. do remember that. Yeah, 15-year-old Ronan yeah. threw a shit fit about that. I, remember, I thought they were I desecrating I the field. <laughs> yeah, they did. They wanted to put – yeah, I do remember that. That was kind of funny. Yeah. So uh, I, I was, that wasn't the uh, only thing back. you threw a little fit about. Uh, I just, no. go, but I, we were talking the other week with your brother about, I remember when they put those little video boards in the upper deck that like now are nothing. That was a huge deal. Yeah. Uh, Basically anytime more signage came into Wrigley field, I was ready to fight, fight somebody about it. I wanted that out of the ballpark. Today, That's like nothing. And it's a fight that I've lost a long time ago. Yeah. It's you never going to go back. For some people, the sacrilege about that Spider-Man film was his organic web shooters versus mechanical ones. For Ronan, no, it's all about the bases. It's yeah, all get, about get the your bases. advertisements off the bases. It's already getting bad. There's there's advertising on the field. That was something that COVID really ramped up at Wrigley, and um, we know advertising's coming on the jerseys as well. That's inevitable. So. Uh, 15 by 15, that's the dimensions of a major league base. Um, I wanted to shift to the pitcher's mount. I think it's widely understood 60 feet, six inches is the distance of the pitcher's mound to home plate. Jeremy, do you know the height of the pitcher's mound these days in major league baseball? I just looked this up the other day and now I can't remember it. <laughs> I honestly did. Uh, Cause we were watching something and they were talking about lowering the height in 68 and now I don't remember what it was and so I'm just gonna pull a number out just just a crazy number that I have I'm gonna say it's 25 inches okay wow Randall what do you think I am going to guess uh I'm gonna say 24 inches I'm gonna say two feet wow wow a depth perception off for both of you I'm afraid I'm surprised I'm um, 10 inches 10 off inches. of the mount is it? And um, Jeremy, you, you alluded to 1968 where they lowered the mound. It went from 15 inches down to 10 inches. And there's talk about maybe lowering it even further or moving the mound back because of how good pitching is these days. But um, it's hard to imagine just 10 inches. It look, they look so much taller. I'll put it that way when they're standing on top of the mound. Yeah. And now that you mentioned it, I did remember it saying 15 inches. I didn't remember what they lowered it to, though. But 25 was yeah. terrible. Yes, that's way off. I got the five well, part in there. You know, something I found interesting, too, when I was sort of looking into that was in the early 1900s, teams could adjust the height of the mound throughout the season. So depending on the opponent that was coming in, they could raise or lower the mound and they eventually sort of established some protocols around it because that I mean, you heard about when we were a kid, the infield grass at Wrigley mm-hmm. Field, the Cubs would keep that particularly high, something that would be a bit of a home field advantage for them, or at least unique to Wrigley Field. Adjusting the height of the pitcher's mound is pretty extreme. That yeah, was my exact that was my exact thought that being able to adjust the height of the pitcher's mound baseball ballparks are the only the only venue of the major four sports that are not standardized dimensions NHL rinks are standardized 
Uh, obviously, NBA floors are standardized and NFL stadiums are standardized. Baseball is the only sport where the dimensions can change from ballpark to ballpark. And just as you said, the way that you can change your landscaping to stop a, a speedy runner or someone known for bunting, the way that you'd be able to change the height of the mound too, which has so much effect on pitching. That's fascinating. Yeah, you should read up on uh, some uh, of the sod father that I know Ray uh, probably enjoys, Roger Bossard. Read up on what he did when he was, you know, really doing it for the White Sox, you know, throughout his career. There would always be little advantages that he would have going on. Uh, growing the grass long, keeping it short, making maybe a little bit wetter on the dirt, the infield dirt in certain spots, you know, so he, he played a role for the White Sox. Our friend Ray Blunt's always a big fan of the long grass. So we, yes. we know he's we know he's big on that. And he's listening to this right now, a cut in the grass uh, in his garage and, and having a good time with that. Two more trivia questions for you both here. These are specific to Wrigley Field. And Randall, I want you to go first with this one. Um, when you think of the outfield fence at Wrigley, bricks, ivy, the yellow paint for the 400 side, all that stuff comes to mind. The basket comes to mind as well. Randall, do you know the height of the outfield wall at Wrigley Field? Uh, you know, Reed, Reed Johnson, former Cubs outfielder and uh, a great defender in his own right, used to talk about this. He used to talk about what you'd have to do to rob a home run at Wrigley. Uh, and he, he used to mention uh, that you'd have to try and somehow get a hold of the basket and pull yourself up that way. Uh, this is a great story, but it's also a cover for the fact that I don't know the answer to this <laughs> off the top of my head. I am going to guess, yeah, you know, a major league outfielder, maybe six, six, two, six, three, and it's a lot taller than that. I'm going to guess nine feet. Nine okay. feet is my guess. Jeremy, what do you think? Yeah, I don't, I don't really know either. I was going to guess a little bit more than Randall. So I'll just go one up over him. I'll guess 10 feet. Okay, interesting. Um, I was trying to visualize it as well because, and, and I thought of 10 feet as that baseline of a basketball hoop, That's right? what college I was basketball, too. and you could definitely jump NBA. It. Yeah. Um, so the thing about Wrigley is it, I felt it was higher than that. It, you know, just passing the eye test. Um, Wrigley has two different fence heights. It's higher in the wells. So it was a little bit of a trick question. There were two answers I was, I guess, looking for there. The main fence. So in between the wells from left to right, 11 feet, six inches. So you talk about robbing a home run. You're, you're really pushing it at that point to get up over 11, six and deal with the basket in the corners, the wells, the old um, family section at Wrigley field, 15 feet in the corners for that wall. It actually goes up as you move out there. So you're not going to see any Robin home runs, I think, in the corners anytime soon. No, and I'm kicking myself because <laughs> I was originally between 11 and 12 feet. And then Randall said nine, and that kind of brought me down to 10 because I thought maybe that was too high. Because I was thinking like a 10-feet basketball hoop. And I, you could – Jason Hayward could definitely – I feel like could definitely – if there was no basket, he or he could definitely jump that. So I was thinking sure. like, well, maybe, you know, 10. But ah, I should have gone with my initial – one more for you both. Jeremy, I'll have you go first this time. Another Wrigley Field special. We talked about the baskets. Do you know when the outfield baskets were installed at Wrigley Field? Uh, the baskets, my guess is like 19, I'll say 1971. Okay. Randall, what do you think? Uh you know that's an excellent guess. I'm. I have two. I have two competing thoughts here. One is that uh, Joe Morgan, may he rest in peace, was a big fan of calling them the Banks baskets. Uh, mm. But at the same time, I don't believe that was a particularly well-founded assertion on his part because I want to say they were installed after Ernie Banks, or at least the majority of his time as the Cubs. So I'm also going to go. 
I'm going to go one lower than Jeremy. I'm going to go 1970. Okay. All right. Randall's the uh, winner, winner, chicken dinner oh. this evening. Uh, the baskets were actually installed May 7th, 1970, and it stemmed from the late 60s. Cubs hit some good baseball teams. The bleacher bums were getting particularly rowdy out there. Opening day 1970, multiple fans not only cleared the outfield fence, but uh, entered the playing field. They had a tussle in the outfield. The team decided to put those baskets in there as much as anything to keep fans from jumping onto the playing field. So, Randall, you're on the money. May 7th, 1970, the baskets are installed. And we owe a big-time Javier Baez playoff home run to the basket in left field. So that's one of those things that ended up in the Cubs' favor. that ball was crushed. I mean, if there was no wind, that ball was going out. No wind, that ball is into the lake. That that ball is up in Evanston. Yeah, and uh, over by you, Randall, you'd have been sitting there ready to catch it. And I would have uh, been, I would have been sitting there on my my balcony in the in former Evanston with a Harry Carey net right off the side, ready to catch that ball. Absolutely. But Bias and, is uh, lucky that ball got in the basket because he did. He thought he crushed it. He, he did not it, go to first. He thought it was more gone than it actually. I think was. I, I think everybody did. I don't think anybody thought that ball was just going to get into the basket. <laughs> That was the uh, big home runoff, Johnny Cueto, of course, in the playoffs back in 16. Uh, But Randall, you're right on the money. He hit it. Everybody thought it was gone. You knew it was gone. And then it barely, barely got out. It just sort of landed right perfectly in that basket. And uh, it's all the Cubs needed uh, in in a big victory there, setting the tone in the playoffs that year. Mm -hmm. Game one of the whole whole, uh, playoffs. Um, and ended that even year nonsense the Giants had been up to uh, throughout the mid 2000 teens. But uh, good stuff, guys, collectively. A little bit of a different spin on the trivia here this week. Some baseball uh, inches and, and measurements and then uh, some Wrigley Field specialties as well. Randall, do you have an old box score ready to go for us this evening? I do, as a matter of fact. We have another box score from the uh, assortment of infinite box scores known as Baseball Reference. And I'm going to start with a name that is near and dear to all of our hearts. Latroy Hawkins pitched in this game. Excellent. Yes. Latroy Hawkins pitched in this major league ball game and looking elsewhere in this particular box score. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to give it away too much. And some of the names here would do just that Longtime journeyman, major league catcher, Humberto Quintero, uh, a favorite name of, former Cubs broadcaster Bob Brenly, who would pronounce it just like that, Humberto Quintero. He had a bases-loaded walk in this game for the opposition. Uh, so, again, Latroy Hawkins pitched in this game. Humberto Quintero had a bases-loaded walk to drive in a run. Uh, elsewhere in this game, Neil Cotts, I know a favorite of this particular podcast, pitched in this game as well. Do we have any guesses just yet? Do we have any, any thoughts, any notions? All right, oh, I, I, I see heads shaking, heads shaking on the video in front of me. One Elsewhere. team, Randall, that pops out, and I'm just throwing darts here early, Houston Astros. I thought are, Houston Astros, too. You yeah. are on the money, as you so often are. The Astros were involved in this game. I couldn't remember if Latroy pitched for the Astros or not, but that's who I was thinking about. Latroy pitched for everybody. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did, in fact. And not only did Latroy Hawkins pitch in this game, he did so for the Astros, and he actually earned the save striking out Ooh, that's one good. batter for the one-third of an inning save in this ballgame. Elsewhere in this game, I'll throw out another favorite name, Carlos Lee, the El Caballo, uh, a favorite of Ray Blunt's and uh, a known Cub killer. He played in this game for the Houston Astros to give you some idea of time frame. Uh, a young Hunter Pence who would go on to uh, 
uh, a long and productive major league career of being a weird dude. He also played in this game for the Astros. Ty Wigginton started wow. a base for the opposition. And on the Cubs side, some names for you. Mike Fontenot was in the lineup for the Cubs this evening. Giovanni Soto, Kosuke Fukudome. So having established that this was a Cubs game, the names are probably giving away the year for you. Having established it was against the Astros, do we have any guesses? Well, I'm going to – I'll just guess 08 just because I feel like we went to the other Astros game in 09. So. We, do, we do have the year. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a curveball. We were not all present at this game, but it is oh. significant for another reason. Is this the storm day? As a matter of fact, it is. This box score is August 4th, 2008 at Wrigley Field, a game that Ronan O'Shea will never forget for reasons he will no doubt expound upon uh, when our guest stops by a little bit later. So that's why I picked this box score tonight. Was that a Tuesday? It was midweek. Was it? It it was definitely, it was actually a Monday, Jeremy. So Monday, Monday, August 4th, 2008. Uh, the Cubs would lose a game that saw some particularly turbulent weather at Wrigley. Yeah. They would lose a 2 nothing shortened ball game. The RBIs in this game, Carlos Lee with the first run, uh, an RBI single, as he did so many times in his career. And the previously mentioned Humberto Quintero with a bases-loaded walk. The Cubs would find themselves on the losing end of a 2 nothing decision. Um, part-time comedian and former baseball player Ryan Dempster started this game for mm. the Cubs. He was followed by Chad Godan and Neil Kotz. On the Astros' side, Brian Moeller started this game uh, on the mound. And uh, a couple of the other names in the Cubs lineup this evening, Soriano, of course, leading off and left. Daryl Ward was sitting in for Derek Lee at first base that evening. Jim Edmonds, one of the two-headed monster parts for 2008 in center field, uh, was in center that night. Another favorite of this pod, Ronnie Cedeno, started at shortstop. Uh, and the Cubs, uh, due to some very inclement weather, would find themselves on the losing end of a 2 nothing decision this evening at Wrigley. Yeah, uh, definitely a memorable night, and, and for a couple of reasons. One, the weather obviously was the storyline. Um, it was also a rare loss I saw in 2008. I felt like they won every time I went to the ballpark, and I caught a lot of games that summer. Uh, but this night against Houston, it was a game that was also televised on ESPN when they were doing Monday night baseball games. Because I remember late in the game when the ballpark was mostly empty, my brother was living in Philadelphia at the time. He had the national feed on. He could distinctly hear me heckling. And I believe it was Lance Berkman who I was just given the business to at that point, but he knew it was my voice, my tone, my cadence. It was picked up. The national audience got to hear Ronan enjoy himself and, and heckle some Astros. I took my little cousin to that game and, and looking back on it, he was probably eight or nine or something like that. I mean, he wasn't a little kid, but he was young and we're in the upper deck. The storm rolls in and I'm the kind of guy that when there's, when there's bad weather, I'm just staring outside at the clouds. Like my plan this weekend is to basically set up on the patio, watch this blizzard come in and enjoy myself. At Wrigley, I wanted to see the lightning. I wanted to see the rain. We were sitting in the upper deck, the old uh, 500 level. So we did have a roof over us. And there was just a moment in time where the tornado siren went off. The winds picked up. The lightning was going. We were laying down in between the rows of seats in the upper deck, protecting ourselves from the rain. You couldn't see the uh, scoreboard in center field from the upper deck. There was just so much moisture and wind and the reflection of the lights off the rain kind of blocks the view uh, when it gets that violent. And one other sort of interesting thing on that front is 2008 is kind of the early days of YouTube. 
and sort of the early days of people having high quality phones in their pocket recording video. So if you actually go out on YouTube right now, you can pull up some video from that night that fan shot. It's got the potato effect, whatever a 2008 phone looked like, but it's still pretty amazing. I've never been in weather that violent at Wrigley Field. And I've been there for some big time storms over the years. That night, it felt like a tornado hit Wrigley Field and it's amazing they were able to keep playing. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I was there two years ago, I think, uh, for – I was against the Braves. There was a big storm, uh, and but not like that. And, of course, the Pearl Jam concert we went to was also pretty crazy. But still, yeah. like that, I remember that day too, uh, and I remember that game. I'm, I'm surprised you stayed in the upper deck because when I was in the bleachers two years ago, they made us, like, get out of there and go down and get underneath. So I'm I just, surprised they I kept you up there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we felt that <laughs> – that was probably as safe as a place to be just because we had the roof over us as well. Mm-hmm. We weren't totally prepared for the window. And at that point, you know, 40,000 people at Wrigley, the pre-renovation, you didn't have a lot of space in the upper deck to really linger. You had the ramps going back down to the lower deck, but there wasn't a lot of space to just kind of hang out in the upper deck at that point in time. Uh, but we made it work. We stuck it out. Uh, unfortunately, a rare 08 loss, but I will never forget it. And it's one of those things where you never know, unless I guess you go to Miller Park, you never know what you're going to get when you go to the ballpark in terms of weather. I see it here in Denver all the time. Winds pick up, storms roll in, and it just goes you know, night to day immediately. But uh, that's one I'll never forget. It's a good one, Randall. Uh, Yes, glad you enjoyed the box score. Um, My summer job at the time had me working that evening. I was actually uh, on a a bus as the tornado sirens were going off up here in the northern suburbs. Ronan, you've said about that game um, a couple times about staying in the upper deck. You said, look, if I'm going to go at Wrigley, I might as well be able to see it coming from the upper deck. Well, exactly right. I mean, if, if they, okay, if this was the tornado that was going to take me out and that's the end of me, I want to watch that thing come in. I want to be sitting at Wrigley Field. That's a pretty good way to go in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but we survived. We made it work. I've, I got to see a World Series, so that's a good thing. But uh, pretty memorable night. And it's worth looking up on YouTube to bring back some memories. And there'll be more of that to come, certainly, at the ballpark in the future. But we'll, we'll shift gears. We'll go down to Phoenix for a little bit here where the weather is a lot more mild. Just some good and bad here from the last week of Cubs baseball. Uh, Obviously, wins and losses, not a big deal. Even stats don't matter at this point in time. It's spring training. You're just kind of looking for guys to be showing some good at bats, maybe displaying like opposite field power. You want your pitchers to be throwing strikes and getting ground balls, the types of things you're looking for this time of the year, in addition to guys staying healthy. And uh, Randall, certainly one good right now, Jock Peterson. Two homer day earlier in the week. He's up to five on the spring. He's spraying the ball all over, all over the field. That's something that's really stood out to me. One of those home runs yesterday, a bomb the other way to left field before pulling a solo shot to right. If he's hitting the ball all over the field, he's going to have a good run this year at Wrigley. Absolutely. Jock, uh, as you said, showing off great power to center and the other way here in the spring. And uh, yeah, if he's going to be hitting homers left and right, the Cubs uh, might be interesting this year. Jeremy, I know you've been a huge proponent of Jock Peterson's exit velocity, and he is hitting everything hard so far this spring. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I like the Jock signing. I, I wanted when uh, I still remember texting out to the group being like, here's a list of guys that Mooney, Patrick Moody says the Cubs are in. I want Jock and Ronan being like, no way, no chance they sign Jock. But Jock, I, I think he's a great fit for the team and he's gone off, like, as you say. And I think we'll see how he does against left-handed pitching, as we've said time and time again. But 
it's hard to look at it now. I know it's spring training, but he, if Jock Pearson's hitting that lineup could get really long, you know, yeah. especially if Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras all pick up. You're like yesterday, you, I was watching the game and it's like you're in their seven spot and the lineup's pretty long and you're like, oh my, we're still putting up some, you know, big runs here. So I, I'd love to see Jock go off. Absolutely. And, and I want to be clear too that I, I wanted him. I didn't think the Cubs were going to be aggressive. No, I, I wasn't saying you wouldn't want him. Totally. Um, it was, this was coming in the heels of getting rid of Darvish. Payroll was coming down. Jock is a perfect fit, I think, to supplement Schwarber in left field. My question to you, Randall, and maybe we talked about this a few weeks ago, but now that we've seen a little bit more of Jock, who'll hit more home runs this year, Schwarbs or Jock? You know, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Jock. I don't think it'll be a particularly wide margin. But Schwarber going to uh, Nationals Park, not quite as much of a hitter's ballpark at Wrigley. And Peterson coming in, we know what the wind can do. Uh, and if you can get the ball up in the wind in the summer at Wrigley. So I'm going to go jock. I don't think it's going to be a wide margin. It might be a, like a 25 to 24 type thing. But I, I would not feel particularly uh, lacking in confidence to put money on jock in that particular contest. Have you changed your opinion from – was it last week? We, uh, I think we did a little prediction of the outfield or maybe two weeks ago uh, for home runs. I think you said Hap would lead the outfield in home runs. So have you changed to Jock or are you sticking with Hap? I, I think I'm sticking with Hap because spring can be uh, a bit of a mirage. Obviously, Arizona, you have the, the dry air. You're at altitude. Pitchers don't, pitches don't break necessarily. Um, but I would be more than happy for Jock to prove me wrong and for him and Hap to uh, jockey for that particular oh, title. Oh, yeah. Giving us some puns. Jockey for that Word particular uh, statistic title all summer long Jockey at Wrigley. Hands. I think that would be great theater. It's, it's fun to envision him wind blowing out at Wrigley, just crushing the ball out onto Sheffield, um, maybe knocking out that video board and right a couple of times too. If he can stay healthy, he's getting an opportunity to play every day. That's something the Cubs are really offering him. And that's going to be compelling and worth watching. It's great though, to see the power and to see him going the other way, knocking the ball out of the ballpark as well. Um, even the base hits are like just launched off the bat. Exactly. Right. He's, he's, he's a locked in double right today now. and he ripped that ball down the line. Yeah. So he's been one of the benefits uh, early on here in spring training offensively. A couple more pluses from this week. Collectively, the starting pitching remains very, very good. There have been some hiccups along the way. Um, Adbert Alzale in relief, not so good. But overall, the starting pitching, getting the job done at this point. Javi, too, in the last day or so. A couple of home runs. Beautiful defensive play. That flip today through the legs. That's the hobby we know and love. It almost looks like he's ready, at least defensively, for opening day. Yeah, and he had another one where he kind of booted the ball, but he caught it with his right hand in midair and made the out. And, uh, and, and I think there was one where he went all the way to his right and made a play across the field. So, you know, it's always fun. The one where you're talking about flipping through the legs, I feel like nobody mentions that it was KB covering second. Like, that's a little yeah. underrated part of that. that. KB got over there and covered second, and then he looked to, he looked to try to even turn two there, but uh, it was a little late. So it was yeah, fun. Yeah, Baez suffered that heel injury fairly early on in the 2019 season. And it clearly hampered him the rest of that season. You know, last season, we don't take much away from that. Uh, Baez, Baez's defense is always going to show up. The athleticism, the awareness, the arm strength, it's always going to show up. And it's good to see him enjoying himself out there in the spring and getting himself uh, the defensive reps he needs to, to put on a show again this season. 
something else that was really fun to see today, Pat Hughes doing play-by-play on Marquis, so doing TV work for the Cubs today, him and JD. Um, I had the game on today. I, I was in meetings most of the day. Didn't get a chance to hear all of it, but when I did get a chance to turn on the sound, it was cool. Neat to see Pat there, and Pat and JD is an interesting duo working together. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that this regular season. It was definitely interesting because uh, I felt like Pat has a kind of a unique – especially with Ron, well, both Rons, I, I feel like Pat usually dominates talking. And so he kind of did that a little bit. And then, but then he was always like, like, Jim, what do you think? Like asking him certain questions. Cause I thought like at first it was kind of off a little bit because JD usually just kind of comes in and talks, but uh, it was interesting. And, and I will say though, Pat was big on RBIs today. He kept talking about RBIs and I'm not sure how much RBIs will be part of the marquee broadcast going forward. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I caught a little bit of as well uh, getting home from work. Uh, you know, it, it's to be expected. Maybe it wasn't necessarily perfect today. Not that anything Pat Hughes does is ever less than perfect, but um, you know, I don't know that Pat and Deshays have ever worked together before. I'm sure they have a, a great rapport spending time together as members of the broadcast team um, where I think it will work, particularly as they do a few more games together with uh, Shambi with his national commitments is Pat of course has a history of working with, guys who are maybe a little bit off uh, between Santo and Moreland and now Coomer, who are the king of being a little bit off. Um, Jim Deshays can do that being a little bit off. He can be esoteric. He can be random, but he's also very quick witted and very intelligent as well. So you get that dimension as he works with Pat, but you also get a guy who can kind of set himself up and provide in- intentional comedy as opposed to sometimes the unintentional comedy of a of a a ron coomer so as that as they do a couple more games together down the road i think that will be a very productive uh broadcast team and as you said it's cool to hear pat hughes coming out of the tv for for a second i mean i I had to wonder you know is the radio feed on the tv for some reason and then i remembered so you know pat hughes easily one of my favorite cubs broadcasters uh, of all time uh, the voice of my formative years as a Cubs fan and to today and to, to see him getting a chance on TV to, uh, to an audience this wide. Uh, great for him and great to hear him today. We're all a little bit, I think, taken aback still at Len's departure to the White Sox radio booth, of all things. It's going to take some adjusting to even Boog, a voice that we're familiar with from ESPN. We're supportive of that hire. But something I'm excited about is there will be some different mixing and matching in the booth. It's going to be a a different energy, certainly on Marquee moving forward. But a little bit of pad on TV is going to be fun. It's just something different. And baseball season's long. uh, Games basically day in and day out, six months out of the year. It's fun to mix it up a little bit. And getting Pat on TV, giving him some TV exposure too, is going to be a good thing because, yeah, we're the type of folks who listen on the radio also if we're in the car or something, we got the game on. Not everybody follows baseball like that. So exposing some of those fans to Pat on TV, I think, is a collective good thing, and, and it's going to be fun to see what he does. You know, I wandered into a, a White Sox highlight from earlier this week, and I believe Len was doing the, uh, the digital broadcast, the, the online broadcast mm-hmm. from the spring. I did not realize uh, his voice was going to come out of the speakers, and I was not prepared for that. Like, what is Len doing here? How did you get to this game? Where, where is the Cubs game? So yeah. it's going to take some getting used to, of course, all, uh, all, all the luck to Len in his new – uh, his new job on White Sox Radio. Um, but, you know, we're, we're lucky. We're lucky. We have a, an incredible slate of broadcasters uh, in this city, not just with the Cubs, but the White Sox with Jason Benetti and now Len Casper. Uh, so we're very lucky to have the broadcast teams that we do in this city. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And and collectively, a lot of fun stuff to pick up on here over the last week. Um, Got to touch on some of the negative things, though, as well. We're not putting too much stock into things like individual performance or, or stats or anything like that. But still, you got to cringe a little bit. Another four run couple of hits a couple of walks he couldn't finish the inning he's a big part of this bullpen and uh, yes he's still working things out he's got a couple of weeks to get it right but it can't help but give you some bad flashbacks seeing him struggle here in the spring yeah it's it's not great um and you know spring we we say it over and over whether whether it's good or bad spring doesn't mean anything but this is uh, a trend for Kimbrel in consecutive years now where the spring outings have been rough and obviously his start to last season was also similarly rough and, you know, you hope he's just working on some things and getting himself ramped up. Um, you could argue this is his first normal spring training as a Cub. He did not have a spring training uh, at all in 2019. And, of course, last year was interrupted due to everything shutting down. So, you know, he, he's and historically he's been a guy who ramps up over the course of spring uh, as far as velocity. So, you know, you hope this is just him ramping up and when opening day comes, he'll be ready. Um, but yeah, you know, you're going to either be good or bad in spring training. You certainly prefer good versus bad. And he has not been that. Yeah. As Randall pointed out, uh, you know, the last two years, three years, really for Craig, uh, not having a true spring training, that's obviously a difficult thing to go through, but you look at today, he, he was kind of all over the place. He wasn't really close in terms of finding the strike zone. Uh, the other day he's getting hit hard as he has, kind of really been as a cub outside of really September of last year it's really been hit hard so you're hoping to find it but like you know if he keeps performing like this it's, it's hard to go into April with any confidence in the back end of your bullpen like if you're going to turn the ball over to Kimbrell if he hasn't shown something by you know at the end of spring training and your kind of, your nominal backup closer is Rowan Wick who is out has yet to pitch in the spring due to his his uh, oblique injury he's unlikely to break camp with the team if Craig Kimbrell falters to start the season again. You don't necessarily have a Jeremy Jeffress who's going to step in with Rowan Wick out. I don't know who would get those save opportunities. Uh, might be Brandon Workman. Uh, I would think different. it's Workman. Yeah, I would think it's Workman. Um, so, yeah, you, you just hope Kimbrell ramps up with the velocity and the location and he cleans it up by opening day. And being the veteran that he is, there's a good chance he will do that. It's just not great to see in the, the fairly early going here. One other storyline from this week, um, and I want to be very clear at the beginning of this, that we are all Pedro Strope fans on here. We've been some of the biggest fans of him over the last couple of years, but some tough news here um, away from the team for a couple of days for breaking COVID-19 protocol. The Cubs obviously prided themselves and rightfully so last year being the only team in major league baseball to not have a positive test impact a player throughout the regular season. Maybe a lapse of judgment here, Jeremy, he made a mistake, uh, was hanging out with some buddies away from the field, but this spring training, you can't do that. And uh, unfortunately for him, it kept him away from the team for a few days while he's fighting an uphill battle to try to land one more roster spot. Yeah. You know, the Cubs, obviously last year, they took COVID protocols very seriously with Theo in charge. Um, you can read all the you know reporting on it on what they were doing. So it's kind of weird where Pedro kind of this year, he's coming in, he came in late to camp. He didn't come in at the start of camp. So I just feel like, you know, he might, I mean, I'm not trying to excuse him at all. Cause you know, you know, not to be going out, but it's like everybody were kind of around and it's all taking it seriously. And he's kind of not really, you know, I, I don't know. He wasn't really a part of the team. So like, I don't know if he had the same sense of how seriously the Cubs were taking it, but it's interesting because it was with the Indians and after what happened last year, you would think with, uh, you know, Clevenger and Plezak, 
and now you have uh you know Ramirez and Reyes I believe and Pedro is hanging out with them it's it's weird that the Indians are still like the team that is not you know having the same issue a year later so but you know it's obviously not going to be easy for Pedro to make the club now it's brought David Ross down very disappointed and you know you're not going to have the opportunity to pitch he's going to be out it's even more now he's out he came in late so to get ramped up and he had struggled, you know, last year and obviously his last year as a cub. So it's really hard to see a way he can find a way to make it to Chicago. Yeah. Strope Strope, very lucky that he did not, does not appear to have tested positive after his lapse in judgment, uh, which by the way, was eating indoors at a restaurant without a mask. Um, and as Jeremy said, he did so with also, Fran don't put on Instagram. Like what is Fran Ray is doing? You know, there again, more lapses in judgment, um, as Jeremy said, he was out with Fran Mil Reyes and Jose Ramirez of the Indians. Um, yeah, you know, David Ross is, is not a guy who will be real angry to the media, but you could sense the disappointment, especially pointing out that uh, a guy who's trying to make the team as a non-roster invitee already has to miss the better part of a week. And, you know, you, you could hear him that the, the, the punishment is its, own, uh, is its own issue with Strope. Um, as you said, we're all Pedro Strope fans here. We understand he made a mistake in judgment. Um, he said all the right things in talking to the media after he was contrite. He apologized. Um, so fortunately, this didn't affect any of his teammates. Um, hopefully, he, you know, everybody can learn from this. And, uh, you know, hopefully Pedro is still able to ramp up and at least be part of the decisions going forward. But again, you, you, can't, you can't do that, as Ronan said, especially not this spring. You can do 99% of everything right, and that 1% will still get you. Eating inside of a restaurant without a mask when you're about to be in a major league clubhouse, cramped, uh, guys to your left, guys to your right, you can't do that. And hopefully Strope has learned that, uh, and we'll, we'll keep that to, in mind going forward. And it's still great to have him back. As we said, we were all a little bit skeptical that he was going to make this team in general, but if he can come back to the Cubs, retire as a Cub, be back uh, around the team where, frankly, he belongs. His impact on this team over the last decade, multiple good playoff runs, a World Series championship, they wouldn't have done it without him. And he will be remembered, I hope, in the grand scheme of things as one of the best relief pitchers in Cubs history, Uh, whatever happens here in the spring training and how things go this year. Fun to cheer for, too. And a little number note on Strope, you know, normally I don't bother too much with the non-roster guys, but the, the number 46 Strope wore in his time with the Cubs is on Kimbrel now. 47, which he wore elsewhere in his career, uh, is on non-roster lefty Adam Morgan. Strope is wearing 64 right now, uh, which reminds me of a Nintendo 64 game. So put in, put in the Strope 64 cartridge and, uh, and play a few hours on that three-pronged controller. Good stuff, Randall. Uh, We're going to shift gears, though, here. We've got a very special guest joining us now, Alexander Hall from At Cubs Weather, sitting in here as our guest this evening. Uh, Alexander, how are you doing tonight? I'm so good. It's so good to see you guys and be here. I'm a fan of the pod and love the energy you guys have, and uh, it's great to be here. I love the hat you've got on, too, to describe it to our audience. It looks like a Cubs cap with, is that a cloud and a lightning bolt behind it? What's going on there? It looks neat. It is. I can't believe this hat exists. I kind of lost it when I saw it on the New Era website on some rainy quarantine summer day. Uh, And, of course, you know, being the Cubs weather Twitter guy, I had to order this hat. Like, how... 
how does this hat exist? I feel like they collabed with us on this. <laughs> you know, instead of having a figurative Cubs weather hat, you can say literally, let me put on my Cubs yeah. weather hat <laughs> and we'll, we'll get down to business. Right. Yeah. I don't know who came up with this or why, but it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be wearing it on storm chase days and uh, you know, particularly exciting Cubs games that may or may not have uh, weather influences. Well, that's a big thing we want to talk to you about this evening. We definitely want to learn more about that Cubs weather account, um, why you came up with it. But something that we do when guests come on here, we want to learn a little bit more about your background, particularly as a Cubs fan. Um, something we all four have in common here. We love this team through the good years and bad years. Tell us a little bit about your Cub fandom and maybe how it came to be and why this ended up being your baseball team. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in uh, outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana, in a small town, and um you know, a lot of my friends were kind of split between Cubs and Sox because we got WGN in those days. And, you know, you, you rush home and uh, you turn on the TV and of course the Cubs are on uh, being on Eastern time. You know, you get those day games are, you know, in third or fourth inning. And uh, so I grew up watching the Cubs on TV, uh, visited Wrigley a couple times as a kid and, um, you know, played baseball a little bit. Uh, I, I wasn't very good, but, uh, it sure is fun. And, uh, here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll find a whole lot of people on this podcast who have played a little bit of ball that are not very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I could be in good company there. So, uh, so then I moved to Chicago after college in, uh, 2009 permanently and, um, well, not permanently, I'm no longer there, but I moved to Chicago, uh, in Wrigleyville and, that's what really got me uh, into the fandom per se. I was more of a casual fan until, uh, you know, I was within a couple blocks and started to kind of understand the culture of Cubs fandom a little more. And, uh, you know, between geographically being so close and the advent of social media and particularly Twitter, uh, it just became so irresistible to dive into the fandom. And so uh, through the blogs and the Cubs Twitter and everything else, um, definitely followed more every year, starting from about the time I moved to Wrigleyville in 2009. And so got to be a part of some, some really fantastic, you know, 100 loss teams with uh, <laughs> uh, $5 bleacher seats. I would, I would wait for the game to start and then go under the red line and just, you know, grab one for like $5 and like, hey, I'm at a Cubs game again. Great. <laughs> uh, those days did not last very long, thankfully. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun to have this Twitter account and participate in the uh, sort of the meta conversation of the Cubs in, in, in my own kind of weird, you know, super niche tangential way, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I've moved to LA and then uh, New York a year ago. Um, so I bounced around a bit, but have stayed uh, in touch with everything through Twitter and social media for sure. Yeah, really good stuff there. So let's talk a little bit more about this account. It is at Cubs Weather. You've mentioned it a little bit there, but it's sort of this intersection of the things we love, baseball, weather, technology, all together. Um, what prompted you creating this and, and kind of getting it going? Right. Well, um, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong 
fan and um, enthusiast and uh, follower of the weather. Uh, I minored in it in college. Uh, it was a last second decision between music or meteorology. And I took the music exit uh, right at the very last second and still studied meteorology in college and have stayed in touch with it as a storm chaser and as just a general kind of hobbyist throughout my whole life. And uh, so when I moved to Wrigleyville um, and, you know, kind of started looking around, I, I, I actually, I was a little, I was, I was kind of thinking of a hypothetical of, man, there's, there's 30,000 people or 40,000 plus people a few blocks from me. What happens if a storm just comes right down the <laughs> pike here? How will they know who's telling these people specifically? Because I, I felt a little bit of unease about that. I will admit I had a few uh, sort of weird tornado Wrigley Field dreams, and that was enough <laughs> to start the account. And, and I thought, you know, hey, I'll just post the forecast if there's a severe weather event or something where, you know, I can inform in a public safety lens, like great, but most of the time it's just going to be this fun kind of game of guessing the weather for the game. And, you know, I didn't know if people would respond to it or not. It was kind of the early days of Twitter where there was still a lot of like, what is this? Like, and you know, there are a lot of hyper specific accounts, like the shrimp alert account that, yeah. <laughs> No, that tweets when there's a walk-off walk, which is hilarious. And so, you know, it was kind of in that vein of like, here's something hyper-specific. I don't know if anyone will think this is cool or not, but um, slowly over time, um, you know, particularly during days where there's a chance for rain, um, you know, we started to, and I say we, because uh, after running the account for a few years on my own, I ended up um, adding Andrew Pritchard and Colin Davis, a couple of my uh, storm chasing and weather friends that I had made over the years uh, through Twitter, actually. Um, and I'll talk about them more later as well. But uh, yeah, I was surprised to see that, that people were um, were interested and were asking questions and were responding and and so it's sort of just slowly kind of snowballed over time and it's really nice to have you know two other teammates and collaborators so if one of us gets busy and you know we have backup and we also bounce forecast ideas and thoughts uh, off of each other often because Chicago is a beast um, our, in our Twitter bio, it says the Lake Breeze is the real curse. And I fully believe that to be true. It's a very fickle, uh, hyper-local thing that's tough to understand. And uh, yeah, if I hadn't lived in Lakeview for so long, it, it would be kind of hard to get the flavor of all the nuances of how the lake interacts with Wrigley specifically. It's a very interesting um geographic uh and meteorological place to be and so yeah it's just sort of spiraled as sort of a, a conversation and a, a love for weather and a love for severe weather too and it's it's been a lot of fun over the last I think I started it at the end of the 2009 season and uh so the first like full season that I was 
kind of on all the way through was 2010. And uh, yeah, there's been some ups and downs and some failures. I'm thinking of the summer 2010 storm. Oh my gosh, is the most strongly worded severe thunderstorm warning I've ever seen maybe in my life. Uh, National Weather Service Chicago in the text of the warning was saying 100 mile per hour straight line winds like please take shelter immediately. And it was making a beeline for the field. And I was like, oh gosh, this is my, this is my moment. This is, this is why I made this. And I, you know, tweeted in all caps or something. And of course it dove south down, uh, just missed the field. It, I think it sprinkled. I think it sprinkled in Lakeview. Uh, meanwhile, like South Loop's getting windows blown out and, you know, losing power and everything. But Wrigley Field, there's, uh, you know, a lot of people tweeting me saying, what was that all about, kid? So, uh, you know, it's it's tricky, but we do our best to interpret the data and bounce things off of each other. We're all lifelong hobbyists. And Andrew is a full-time meteorologist and degreed meteorologist. So he's great to have on board too. And, and yeah. Alex, uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Um, so you, you obviously are in New York, uh, and uh, Colin is in, I think, Canton, Illinois. And Andrew, where is, where is Andrew located? Andrew's in Urbana. Andrew's in Urbana. Yeah. So the three of you, uh, between the three of you, none of you are in Chicago. You're still able to give us such precise information. You're, you're certainly one of my go-to accounts if I need to know the weather at the ballpark, or sometimes even when my uh, palatial estate up here in the northern suburbs. Um, <laughs> You, yeah, you were right there with uh, Mike Hammernick, the WGN meteorologist who sadly passed away this week. Another great Cubs fan yes. who would always provide. We uh, were all such big fans of his, and that was such sad news this week, for sure. Such sad news. Another great local meteorologist who would provide sports-related weather updates. What are some of the tools that the three of you use to, to get the information as specific as you do, um, to, to get the information to your followers what it's apt to do at Wrigley or in the area? Well, like I said, uh, the very first thing was my experience uh, living in Wrigleyville and uh, the North side for six years or so. You really get a sense of the rhythm of those hyper-local um, nuances and adjustments that you need to make and things that you need to look out for. Uh, that would be the number one thing. Uh, there are days uh, the lake is so fickle. Um, you'll sometimes have the lake breeze boundary, which, um, you know, the lake, especially early season, the lake is very cold. There's a lot of, it actually cools the air directly overhead of the lake. And it, it creates this sort of dense uh, pool of air that wants to try to flood in over the warmer landmass. Um, due to the Lake Prairie's circulation. So sometimes that, that, that gradient between that dense lake air and the warmer uh, air over the land, land mass and over Lakeview and over the north side of Chicago, uh, that gradient can be very tight and it can kind of move back and forth. It's very fluid. And so, you know, you can have... <laughs> You can be standing on Halstead and it can be 49 degrees and on Ashland, it can be 72. Like, I mean, that's a little extreme, but it can be over that short of an area. And, 
and being, you know, feeling that physically walking from Lakeview to East Lakeview and feeling the temperature go down every half block for several years and just getting the taste of that, the character of all of that was the biggest help. I think the second biggest help would be the National Weather Service in Chicago is such a fantastic resource. Um, I don't know how, but everybody they hire there is just crazy genius. And they always have such in-depth forecast discussions that I've learned so much meteorology from over the years. And so usually the first thing I do when I wake up on a game day, on a, on a home game day is I read the forecast discussion uh, from the National Weather Service Chicago, which is public. It's, it's technical. So it takes some getting used to if you're not a pretty hardcore weather hobbyist. Um, there's a lot of shorthand and, and a lot of technical meteorology in there, but man, are they good. And they're, they're just a fantastic resource. If you are in Chicagoland, I would definitely recommend bookmarking weather.gov slash lot L-O-T or weather.gov slash Chicago and following NWS Chicago on Twitter because they are they're awesome. And, um, you know, with in, in the age of apps uh, and weather apps, um, to have that human touch like that on a forecast from people who live there, especially like we've said, uh, you know, Chicago being so fickle, um, it's awesome to have a team of meteorologists there, uh, you know, kind of putting out these very public technical meteorology discussions. And yeah, that's definitely the first thing I'd check. And also work uh, on the Storm Prediction Center website a lot. Storm Prediction Center is the agency that issues uh, tornado watches and severe thunderstorm watches and uh, another huge uh, scientific brain trust that we use a lot. And uh, yeah, other than that, um, uh, I like, there's an, uh, there's a website called Weather Underground mm. and they have a map called Wonder Map which shows a lot, of, um, a lot of home weather stations that have, um, you hope that they're um, like scientifically set up anemometers and, and they can give you some more hyper-local information, which is so helpful when you're trying to find out if it's 40 degrees on Halstead or Ashland. And uh, also radar scope is, is probably one that you'll see if, if you're on our Twitter page, you'll see us tweet radar scope graphics a lot. It's, um, it's a technical radar program for your phone, uh, costs about 10 bucks. And, you know, it, for the average person, there's like a lot of crazy different radar products on there that might be a little confusing, but, um, for us, it's, it's magic. And, um, that was game changing when that app came out. So I would say that's kind of the main tools that we use. And, and again, like the, the meteorologists in Chicago are, are just so valuable to have on the ground because of that hyper local and hyper subtle nature of it, especially on the North side of Wrigley. It sounds like a really sort of unique fusion of technology, science, commentary, and you found this niche where people love Cubs, they love baseball, they know that weather impacts the game. And I think that what's so compelling about Wrigley Field, and you've touched on this, is you get to see multiple seasons play out over the course of one baseball season. So when the, when the major league year starts in April, 
I've been to a lot of cold opening days where it's better yeah. suited for a football game than anything else. You get into June, the weather turns, the humidity starts to rise through August, and then it cools down again in September. So you get like a wide variety of weather at Wrigley Field over the course of the year. Your experience as a fan going to a game in April and going to a game in August is very different. And that's all part of the fun, I think, of following a team over the course of the year. My sort of anecdotal fandom would tell me that early on in the year when it's colder, the wind blows in more. And then once things heat up in the summertime, that's when we get those big gusts to the outfield and balls getting knocked out of the park. Does the science show that? Or is that just sort of me cherry picking things I remember over the years watching games? No, there's, there's definitely sort of three different uh, kind of larger weather patterns that tend to take over in those seasons that we experience as fans uh in the early part of the season the lake influence is a little bit outsized as the lake water temperature is actually colder so it's creating a little bit more efficiently it's creating uh that cold dense air that wants to rush west uh over the landmass um that happens much more frequently in the early part of the season coming straight out of winter rather than later in the season. As the lake temp warms up, uh, that imbalance begins to tilt toward equaling out a little more. So the, the, lake, uh, the lake breeze gets less pronounced as you get into the warmest months, um, just because the lake isn't generating a ton of cold air on its own. Um, and yeah, as the summer months progress and the warmer air regime starts to take over, you'll get more of the southerly flow, warm, warm, moist air, warm, humid air coming up from the Southern states, from the Gulf of Mexico. And it's riding that South wind, which at Wrigley field is straight out to left or Southwest wind, which is straight out to center field. Um, so definitely in the, you know, second half of May, you get those first like really warm, nice, like, close your eyes and it's definitely summer May days. And those are all riding on a South wind usually. And, and that tends to continue through the, through the summer overall. And then once you start to get into fall, we get into more of the Canadian air masses sort of starting to invade again, which usually ride on Northwesterly winds or Northerly winds. So, which, uh, in the fall, we'll be tweeting often winds cross field from left to right um, on that northwesterly wind. So definitely um, between like multiple different air masses and different sort of flow and, and uh, atmospheric sort of mass regimes. Uh, yeah, there's sort of three different seasons there and, you know, in off the lake, out to left field and then sort of cross field. And we also late season, will get some of that lake influence coming in a little bit, uh, especially really late. If you start playing into late October, or November, it gets a little scary there too. The, yeah, the Canadian, oh, the Canadian air mass. That's what they call it. When Dempster goes into one of his comedy routines. <laughs> I, have, I have a question. It's not really uh, about the weather, more about your account. Um, I'm just curious about what was game seven like for you? That must've been a crazy experience where you first of all emotional as a fan but then like the radar and ever like tracking the storm like that must have been just crazy right so i'll go back a little bit um so like i said it started in 2009 
regularly posting in 10 and uh, you know, what a fun season to see 13 and 14 and things start to come online and, um, and the prospects coming up. And by 2015, um, the account really started to grow on those rain delayed days um, because just the Cubs had so much heat at that point, which was very new for us. And, and for, well, it was just me in 2015, it was still just me. And, you know, I noticed that people were a little bit, they were wanting a little more coverage than sometimes I could give. I haven't mentioned, but I'm a musician and a songwriter. And at the time I was a full-time choreographer and was traveling a lot as well. And so, you know, there would be days where I would have a long rehearsal day and just be completely off my phone. And in, that was never a big deal if I missed one, whatever, who cares? And then in 2015, <laughs> I would like look at my phone and have like 25 replies be like, what's the deal? And I was like, oh, okay, this is like different now. <laughs> so toward the end, by the end of 2015, I started to be like, all right, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I might need a little backup <laughs> since this isn't my job, but I, I do feel, you know, I'm so passionate about the weather and, you know, it's so much fun to interact with uh, Cubs fans in this way. I was like, you know, it'd be great if I, on those extra days where I need a little extra help, if I could find somebody to help me out. And so uh, I had been aware of Andrew Pritchard, who's a very well-known storm chaser. If you guys are into storm video and storm chasing, check out his YouTube channel. It's really great. Um, a lot of great content and tornadoes and kind of gives you the whole road trip vibe. And I make some cameos, you know, playing wiffle ball in Oklahoma gas station parking lots. And, but uh, Andrew, Andrew's uh, channel, by the way, is sky drama on YouTube. And that's his Twitter handle as well. But we became sort of, you know, Twitter buddies. And by the end of 2015, I felt like I could DM him and say, Hey, you know, this is starting to get kind of crazy. Like, uh, and next year is probably only going to be worse. I mean, better, but, uh, so, you know, what do you think about helping me out? So anyway, so through 2016, I had some backups, which was great because obviously they were lights out and, and every game felt more important than, any other regular season games we had experienced. And so we, you know, we're working our way through the past and get to game seven. I was in LA at the time and uh, I went to a bar on the West side called gold coast, which is owned by uh, a guy from Chicago. Uh, and uh, it, the bar that day, it was, it was Wrigleyville. I mean, when you walked outside, it was very normal, it, you know, Wednesday, uh, Culver City vibes. But inside of this bar, Gold Coast, it was Clark Street. It was wild. Uh, and so I got there early and I sat down at the bar and I, I've, I had been looking at stuff all day. And I was so nervous looking at the short range models because um, consistently, um, you know, you can see that there's a weak cold front coming. What was nice about it for the players, I thought, was that uh, for as late as it was in the season, we still had this southerly flow. So we were in the 60s for so much of that World Series, which was wild. And especially that, you know, Chicago and Cleveland were in the same air mass, uh, just being a few hundred miles apart. 
So, you know, they traveled east and they were still in that same, you know, warm air regime. And it was, I was like, well, that's got to be nice for them because it's November 2nd. This could be horrible. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so looking at the short range models, you could see that there was going to be a weak cold front crashing at some point. And it, it looked clear for the game. Uh, for the game start, which is sort of our first focus when we start to look at things is game start because everyone wants to know about delays. And uh, so that's the first thing we look for. And at zero Z, or, which is the weather nerd talk for 7 p.m., it looked totally fine. And uh, by approaching 11 o'clock and after, you started to see on all the short range models, this light little strip of showers moving through. And I was like, no, this is going to be really wild. Like the way that this times out. So I sat down at the bar and I, I ordered a beer and I looked down at my phone and my heart was just in my stomach. I mean, and I was, I said, you know, 60 degrees, light winds, uh, chance for showers increasing late in the game because as you look, you know, typical, well, the playoff games were going for 120 hours. I mean, those playoff games go forever, yes. uh, which made me even more nervous actually, because the, I was like, well, the runtime on this thing is going to be 58 years. And so it's definitely going to be at some point. Uh, so yeah. And I just fired off a quick tweet that said uh you know showers and chance for showers increasing late in the game this is real life and holy cow did that turn out to be such a big deal and uh i know andrew and i both we had kind of different responses to what was happening i think his reaction was uh gosh darn it like i I, they, they don't need to put the tarp out for this. This is going to be so fast. And this rain is not that heavy. And he kind of recalls uh, sort of being like aggravated that they went ahead and delayed it. And I remember tweeting, you know, this isn't going to last long. This isn't going to last long. And of course, you know, the replies were just filling up at this point. I mean, it, it was almost like, it felt like kind of the whole, the pinnacle of the whole account really in that moment. And yeah. uh, of course, you know, it gave them exactly what they needed, which is the craziest part of all to, you know, to sit there starting in 2009 and watch the slow burn of this franchise as I'm getting into like really into the fandom of it and and then for it to kind of have its pinnacle in this weather moment I was like no <laughs> a little bit too much of a movie for me I mean it was it was really cool that and exciting that weather played some kind of a role for the Cubs that was that was a lot of fun for us I think it was a perfectly timed rain delay as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Momentum in that game had shifted in a way that was not good. Yeah. It was, was I've never had a problem with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, was, I just remember, I, I think I had escaped to the bathroom uh, just before the Rajay home run. And uh, I, I believe that I was exiting the bathroom during that home run and the sound that the bar made was just like a wilting flower. It was like the worst sound I've ever heard in my life. And I thought, oh no. And then I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm looking at the radar thinking, oh no. 
how is this going to go down? So definitely high stakes. I mean, what, what weather forecast will I ever make ever yeah. again that has that much impact on a game? I, I mean, it, that will be pinned to the top of our profile forever. It's unbelievably fun. I think that's so cool. And what a perfect sort of capstone that you put a couple of years into this account. You see the fan base build up. The team gets really good. And now that pinnacle moment, Game 7, World Series, we've all thought about it. I a rain delay, extra innings, Cubs end up winning it. I mean, that, that must have been very rewarding for you with that account as well. Yeah, it was it was a blast. And the next day, it just made the afterglow like that much sweeter to think like not only did they pull through, pull through but like it just it just felt very serendipitous, I guess. The well, rain my- the rain washes away everything. Yeah, that's right. right. And in this case, hey, it ended up working out just fine. Um, remind our audience where uh, they can find you, the account, and your colleagues' accounts on Twitter, just so we can give that a bit of a bump here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, feel free to interact with us. Uh, interact with us. Ask us questions as well. Um, throughout the season, um, we get all sorts of questions from like are we going to be delayed to like, you know, how many layers do I need? And we're, we're used to that kind of thing and we like it. So if you want to talk weather with us, it's at Cubs weather and uh, you can find me on at Alexander hall uh, where I'll tweet about uh, some music things and, and uh, weather as well. And uh, Andrew is at sky drama. And uh, if you're into storm chasing, he is an excellent follow. Um, And then also uh, Colin, who we uh, added to the account in 2017 or 18, he's also a a pitching coach for a junior college, uh, Spoon River College. And so he, if you ever see uh, a a tweet from our account that's way more baseball savvy than it needs to be, that's definitely Colin. Uh, (laughs) He has all sorts of uh, deep information and was a pitcher himself so he's a fun follow as well if you like baseball and weather it's at donkey downburst which is the best username on twitter (laughs) i stand by that and uh yeah we'd love to to chat weather with anybody out there and uh looking forward to this year i think it's going to be an exciting one i it's kind of sneaky exciting which is even more fun i think in a certain way well, we'll see if Jock gets to 40 homers. We were talking about uh, yeah, that earlier. He's, he's clearly going to hit 40 or 50, yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. Last question before we let you run here. You're a music guy. All those years in Chicago, your favorite music venue in the city of Chicago? Ooh, my favorite venue. Wow. I really yeah, like there's the, a ready for that one. I really yeah. like the Aragon, I think. Aragon. Awesome. I really like the Aragon. I, I like the historic theaters. I, I mean, I love the Chicago theater as well. Um, but there's something about a theater like that where it's a little more intimate and just feels like a, a very like classic space and the neighborhood is so historic and cool too. Yeah. So I'll go with the Aragon. That's a good one. Uptown's hot. It's Uptown. a place to be these days. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Alex, thank you for your time this evening. We'll get you back in a couple of weeks. Once weather starts impacting games, we'd love to have you back on. That sounds like a lot of fun, guys. Thanks hey, for having well, me. Thanks thank for you. coming in. All right. See ya. Again, the Twitter account there, at Cubs Weather, Alexander Hall. And gentlemen, I, today's weather. That's the theme of this show. Yeah. I thought that was a lot of fun. That was a good discussion. breaking that down. I was, that was a great interview. Yeah. I was at the Metro for game two, so, like, that was a weird experience against the Giants. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, favorite music venue in Chicago? I don't know. I, 
I kind of just like the Metro just because of the shows I've seen there. Sure. sure. And the Vic's lots of good, good stuff. Too. I mean, I've been there. I, I'll, I'll throw a curveball to everybody. My favorite venue I haven't even been to yet. Hopefully it's being remodeled here. The Uptown Theater. That's the place just down the street from the area. Ball. my dad's least favorite venue is. The one What's on Mixed Field, the amphitheater on Mixed Field. <laughs> it's, I understand that as a as a, a pilot, rightfully so. I know he should have been here to talk the weather. He knows more. Well, we'll get Stephen on here in a couple of weeks too. Um, really good stuff from Alexander Hall. Um, all right, guys, I'm preparing for snowpocalypse here in Denver. Any last wishes for me here before I go and prepare myself for the storm? Remember, Ronan, when you shovel, uh, lift with your knees, not with your back. <laughs> I Hear me would, what you got for me. I just would say, you know, prepare well. Uh, go out and stockpile because you never know if you're going to be, you know, sh- uh, snowed in from that. You have you've street side access, so you don't know what you're going to get there. I, I got street side access. I got a home run in frozen pizza ooh, in the freezer. Ooh. The fridge is stocked. The freezer is stocked. Um, the grill's ready to go. Got some steaks going to go up tomorrow, some uh, hot dogs as well. So we're going to make the most of it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it and we'll see where this goes. Yeah. But that's all we got on this week of Behind the Yellow Line. We'll be back with more next week. Again, we'll look at that infield preview. We will definitely break down those minor league rules. We need more time to get through that. So I don't want to cut it short here. Um, and we'll see you again next week on Behind the Yellow Line.